Christ, who had believed in Jesus, but were experiencing difficulty in their life. They're experiencing challenges in their life. And so the letter is written with an encouragement to endure. Endure be, and, uh, to endure and to be motivated in that endurance by who Jesus is and by the rest to come. Today, of course, is a continuation of that theme. Endure being motivated by who Jesus is and being motivated by the rest to come, the promised rest, the promised eternal life in him to come. Let's pray as we come to his word this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so blown away by the image we see here today of you in your high priestly role. We're so blown away by the way that you can deal with sin and have dealt with sin, have dealt with our sin. We're so blown away by the way that you can understand the things that we're experiencing because of your humanity. Lord, it just blows our mind that you can sympathize with us, that you can understand us, that you can deal with sin and yet care for us who still struggle with sin. Lord, we do just pray that you would minister the reality of your word to our hearts and minds today. That it would be something, Lord, that truly shapes us truly helps us, truly encourages us? Would it be something, Lord, that truly helps us to believe in Jesus and to, to have that sin dealt with and to have eternal life given? We pray, Lord, for relief from the competing thoughts in our minds, the the things that are giving us anxiousness, the things that are giving us worry, the things that are distracting us. We pray for relief from those things for this time as we come before you that we might grasp onto what you have told us here in your word. We pray for help in that regard by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My youngest son, Ari, is now 15 months old. And because of that, he is barely able to ask for even the most basic things. If he wants to have food or water, he has to come up to us and he has to sort of yell or, or, or rub or, or point or do anything to communicate what he wants. He's barely able to communicate even the most basic question. The reality though is, even as a 15-month-year-old, he is still asking questions, mostly on the emotional, intuitive level, but questions all the same. Questions that come up within the context of our relationship with him. One of those questions might well be, is there a security in this relationship? You know, can I trust you? Will I know that your security is there on my best days and on my worst days? Is there a security in this relationship that I can rely on? The other question that I'm sure he's asking is, is there a sympathy within this relationship that I can rely on? If I jam my fingers in the drawer, 
and come to you can I expect to have sympathy, not on your best day, but in a reliable way? Is there a security to this relationship and is there sympathy within this relationship? The point that I want to make this morning as we travel through this text is that as people we never graduate from asking these questions. We never stop asking those two questions. Is there security within this relationship and is there sympathy in this relationship that I can rely on every day of my life? We ask those questions horizontally, don't we? We say to our friends, to our colleagues, to our partners, to our children, do you, are you going to extend me the grace of having a secure relationship? Are you going to care when I'm hurting? Are you going to be sympathetic towards me when I'm in pain? We ask those questions horizontally. We also ask them vertically. We ask them to the Lord God himself. Is there a security in this relationship with you that I can rely on? And is there a sympathy within this relationship that I can rely on? The reason today's text is so wonderful is because in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 510, we receive a definitive yes. In Christ, for those who believe, there is a security and a sympathy within this relationship that we can rely on, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of who Christ is as our great high priest. Do you know that is the most beautiful thing to hear? Do you know what makes it even more beautiful? These promises were made to the messy and to the needy. They were not made to the strong and to the self-sufficient. They were made to people who were struggling, who were, who were experiencing that fullness of temptation to, to even abandon their belief in Christ because life was hard. They were made to people who were scattered and ostracized and experiencing difficulty, who would have had messy lives. Security and sympathy in your relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, your great high priest. These promises were made to the poor in spirit. They were made to believers as they experienced their weakest moment. They were made to people who come ready in their weakness to receive Jesus as Savior and receive Jesus as their Lord. They were made to those who would believe in Christ and have eternal life. There is a security in this relationship with God that you can concretely rely on. There is a sympathy within this relationship with God that you can concretely rely on, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is as your great high priest. As we go into the text this morning, if you look down, if you've got your Bibles open, what I'm hoping to see today are three aspects to Jesus' high priestly role. His suitability, his superiority, and his sympathy. Now, I know the high priest concept is quite foreign for us. In this context where the, the letter was written to, it wasn't foreign. This was an everyday concept that they were used to. And because of that, my hope is that as we go through, we will begin to understand what a high priest is 
and does, even though it's unfamiliar for us today. The first thing we'll see in the text, or the first thing that I want to highlight in the text, is that Jesus is suitable as a high priest. If someone was to put a job description in seek and say, this is what I want, I want a high priest, there would be a series of qualifications that he would say, this is what would make you suitable for the role. This is what we see here, the general qualifications in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 5. The first thing we see is that the man must be taken from among men. He must be a man, but yet we see in verse 4 that he must be selected by divine appointment. He does not just wake up one day and say, I will be a priest. He is appointed by God from among men. What we see here in this text, of course, is that normally these priests would come from the line of Aaron. Think about Moses' day. Moses and Aaron, Aaron the head of the priestly order, the Levites who would minister amongst the people for their history. In verse 1 we see also that this priest would minister on behalf of men before God. So there is his place. He goes between men, he ministers on their behalf, and God. He's the go-between. He does this by offering sacrifices and gifts to God for sin. Verse 1 of chapter 5, again, a priest is a mediator. He stands in the gap between man and God, bridging that relational gap that is present because of our sin. Sin is the very thing that distances us from God. It is the thing that, that has meant that our relationship with God has been damaged and there is no security. Here lies the priest's role. He stands in the gap bridging that relational gap by offering these sacrifices and gifts to God so that the relationship can be repaired or restored. It is, of course, devastating that this role exists. It's devastating that we have to grapple with the concept of sin. It's devastating that we as individuals are sinners But it is beautiful to see here that God has provided a way for reconciliation to happen through the priestly role. He uses this, of course, to to welcome people back into relationship with him. He chooses to accept those sacrifices and gifts as an atonement for sin so that restoration can be genuinely accomplished. For the high priest who was functioning in the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. He had a role that involved all of the year round, but he had one special day, which was the Day of Atonement, where he would go through the curtain into the tabernacle and offer the blood of the goat as a sin offering for the people. You can see this play out in Leviticus 16. But that was his role. That was the center and high point of his year as the high priest, doing what was necessary to have atonement for sin and to restore the relationship which had been damaged by sin. The final qualification for a priest was that he would be gentle with the ignorant and wayward. We see this in verse 2. If you look, if you look down to verse 2 of chapter 5, we read, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with is beset with weaknesses it's amazing to see the disposition of a priest would not be one of pr- 
pride, would not be one of condescension, would not be one of, of arrogance, but be, would be one of gentleness. Knowing himself that he is a weak man capable of sin, he was able to be gentle with those who struggled with sin too. He was a man of humility. What the, what the pastor is reminding us here in verse 5 through 10 and verse 14 as he lays this out is that Jesus is sufficient. He is suitable. He meets the criteria. He is qualified to be a priest, to mediate and to deal with the sin that separates us from God. What he'll go on to show us though is that Jesus is more than a normal high priest. He is superior to the human high priest. He's all that and more. He not only fulfills the type he is the perfect type of priest. If you jump back up to verse 4, 14, what we read is that we have a great high priest. In the Old Testament, again, there were two layers of priests, if you like. There was the generic layer of priests who did all the functional things that a priest would do, but there was the high priest. Here we have a third tier added. Jesus is the great high priest. He has not just gone through the curtain into the dwelling place of God on earth. He has gone through the heavens to be ascended into the dwelling place of God in the heavens. He is, only, he is a man, most certainly Jesus, but he is also the Son of God. In verse 5 to 10, he keeps playing this out, showing us how Jesus is superior to every human high priest. We see that he is the anointed one, exalted by God, Quoting from these two messianic psalms, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, he's reminding us that he is special. He is the anointed special one. He is the priest, not from the line of Aaron, but from the line of Melchizedek. He is set apart. He is different. He is of a priestly order like no other. We're going to learn more about Melchizedek as we go through Hebrews. For now, just remember that if you want to learn about him, Go read Genesis chapter 14. We see that Jesus too, as the priest, was to act on behalf of man before God, offering sins and gifts to atone for sin. The, the, the very thing that sets Jesus apart, though, is that he offered sacrifices not of goats perpetually, but by offering the sacrifice of his own body to atone for sin. And that is the reason why, verse 9, we remember that he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He gave the sacrifice that was necessary to atone for sin, to restore the relationship, giving not of goats that would require a perpetual sacrifice, but giving of his own flesh as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice necessary for us to have eternal security in him before God. The pastor is impressing this upon us to remind us that there is a security. There is a security to this relationship with God that we can rely on because of what Jesus Christ has done as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice, as the great high priest. Our propensity as people in relationships, as we think about security, 
is to think or to expect that we have security because of who we are and what we have done. We think about our relationships and we analyze them and we assess them and we think about them and we say, well, the reason you will be my friend or be my partner or be whoever you are to me is because of what I am or who I am. We say because of this, have I ever done enough? Am I going to be abandoned? Am I going to be left? This leaves us perpetually insecure and anxious. The reality is we can do this with God. We can go to him and say, I know that I have security because of who I am and because of what I have done. The reality here that Jesus or that the pastor reminds us of is that our security is different. The security we have exists between us and God because of what Jesus has done and because of who Jesus is as a great high priest. The reality is that we come as messy and needy people, not deserving the security, but having it because of who Jesus is and what he's done. The pastor is saying to you, you have the security you desire because of him. Even when you may not feel like it, you have it. Jesus is a sufficient high priest. He is a superior high priest. He is also a sympathetic high priest. Again, if you look at verse 15 of chapter 4, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. As we looked at before, one of the central qualifications for a high priest was gentleness. Gentleness because he understood people. He understood that people are messy, that people are ignorant and people are going wayward, that people struggle with sin in an ongoing way in this life. But that high priest was, was never cruel. He was never impatient with people. He was with the strugglers. He was with the toilers. He was with the battlers. He was with those who are willing to acknowledge that sin is a real issue in their life. He was with those who look to sin in their life the same way that a Sunday tramper might look to Mount Everest, thinking that it is insurmountable. He was with those people and he was gentle. He was with them as a gentle man with those who are defeated and deflated and devastated by the freshness of sin that they're seeing in their lives. He was gentle in the way that he didn't shun sinners but went to them. He was never shocked by their sin but worked to draw them back to God by ministering grace to them. The pastor here is reminding us that the reason Jesus is a high priest, the great high priest for us, is because he is gentle. He is gentle. He is able to deal gently as the great high priest. He is able to sympathize with those who struggle, not with a detached pity, as Ortland reminds us, but with a genuineness of care. Jesus gets the human condition You know, we often think, well, how could God possibly sympathize with me? 
in my struggle as a human? Well, here the answer comes through thick and heavy. He gets it because he has suffered. He suffered death. He suffered difficulty. He suffered the devastating effect of being opposed by the devil. He cried out to God as a human. We see that in verse 7 to 8 of chapter 5. Jesus gets the human condition on top of this because he was tempted as a human. He felt the full weight of temptation as a human person. We are... It's often so hard to understand just how understanding Jesus is. But he felt the full weight of temptation yet without sin. I love it in Matthew chapter 4 after Jesus has been tempted by the devil because what happens afterwards? The angels minister to him. Can you imagine a, a man so crushed and so burdened and so burnt out because of the struggle that God needed to send his angels to minister to him directly? That is the picture of Jesus. Not stoic, not standing strong, but experiencing the full weight of temptation and needing to be ministered to. He gets the human condition. You know, again, in the book that we've been reading in our growth groups, forgive me if you are not going to a growth group or are unfamiliar with this, we're reading through Gentle and Lowly, which is a book by Dane Ortland, and he brings out this point which C.S. Lewis actually makes, where he says, you know, as humans we think Jesus doesn't understand our walk. He doesn't understand temptation because he has never felt what it's like to fall into sin. And he actually makes the point the other way around. He says, well, actually Jesus knows what it's like to feel temptation because as soon as you fall down and experience relief because sin has been exercised, in fact, Jesus carries on and he experiences temptation in a way that you can't understand that you have never felt, that you have never been to. And that is the one he's reminding us who is there as the sympathetic high priest. He has endured humanity, he has suffered, and he has been tempted to a degree that we cannot understand. And this, in fact, perfected him for and, and prepared him for his role today as our great high priest. So if we're asking ourselves the question, is there a sympathy within this relationship with God that I can rely on? The answer is in Christ a definitive yes. He gets the human condition. He gets temptation. He did not fall into sin, but he understands what it's like to be tempted. He too needed to be ministered to and is the one who ministers to us today. His sympathy doesn't fatigue when he sees us floundering. His sympathy is consistent and reliable because it is based on who he is to us and what he has done for us, not upon how we're feeling at a particular time. In today's text, we have our answer 
for those fundamental human questions. We have our answer for those fundamental human questions. We answer, ask vertically in our relationship with God. Is there a security to this relationship with God that I can rely on? Yes, in Christ. Is there a sympathy within this relationship with God that I can rely on? Yes, in Christ, because of who he is as our great high priest. How does the pastor then expect us to respond as the messy and needy people that we are? If you look up to verse 14, we see his first command, if you like. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hold on to him. You have someone who is better than any other thing that you can possibly imagine. You have the gospel. You have grace. You have the confession of life in Jesus Christ. He says, hold on to it. To the people who are struggling, hold on to it. Hold fast to that piece of you know, door in the storm. Hold on to your confession. If you don't know Christ, this is an opportunity to establish that confession. Jesus is the Son who came to save us from our sin. The call is to believe and give our life to him. If we understand the gospel, the call is to continue, to persevere, to endure, to hold on to it even when times get tough. Hold on to our confession, knowing Jesus is our great high priest. The second thing he expects us to do is to go to him. In verse 16, he reminds us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The (laughs) always struggling for words to describe the beauty of these things. Let us then with confidence. This is to a beaten down, beaten up people. And he's saying, if you are in Christ, go confidently to the throne of grace, the place where God the Father is present, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Don't go as a beaten up, needy person to the throne room of grace and expect to be shunned ever, ever if you are in Christ. Go as a son or a daughter crying, Abba, Father, help. This is the only place where I know to go to where I will consistently receive mercy and consistently find grace to help in time of need. It is not then that we just fall down in despair, but that we are picked up and we are helped by the one who has given himself for us and the one who cares with us deeply enough to be called a sympathetic high priest. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace and help to help in your time of need. The very thing that prepares you to go to this place is your need 
and your messiness. But the invite is consistent because you have security with God and because he cares for you. As a parent, the sweetest thing that Ari can do for me is come to me when he needs me. The most sweet feeling you will ever feel is a child clinging to you, unable to communicate, but a child clinging to you because you are the place of security and sympathy. The image we have here is the joy of the Lord as we come as children, barely able to even articulate our need, coming to him and clinging to him because he is a place of security and sympathy. It is something that gives the Lord joy when we come as messy, needy people to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So do it. Go there. Don't abandon this reality when times get tough. Coach yourself even through the experience of your feeling. I can go to Christ. Remember who he is. I can go to the throne. This is a concrete reality for me because of who he is, not because of what I have done. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be people who not only know this reality about you, but apply this reality. So often in our need we flee and we run and we enter into the self-destruct mode when, Lord, the constant call that is ours in the gospel is come. Bring your need, bring your messiness. Help us, Lord, to go against every inclination at times it seems and to come to you bringing our difficulty and our messiness and help us, Lord, not only to have the experience of sympathy but the experience of help. We long, Lord, that that despair or that devastation would turn into joy because we have encountered Christ in his glory. Help us, Lord, even as we go to think about the beauty of who you are and the blessedness of what it looks like to relate to him. There is nowhere else where we would go, Lord. You have the words of eternal life. You have everything that which we desire. Help us, Lord, to cling on to that in the difficulty and the trials of life. Help us, Lord, even to encourage one another in this too. As we see each other floundering, Lord, would we not look as passive stand-bying people, but would we, Lord, be your hands and feet in this life? Would we minister to one another, impressing the gospel upon each other as we, as we wander through this life, waiting for the eternal life to come? Would we be people who share the good news of who Christ is, motivated because we know how wonderfully rich it is to live before the great high priest. Bless us, we pray, Lord. Remind us who you are and continue to offer us that grace and mercy that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.